Hey there, welcome to SaaS Unbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we talk with inspiring founders and experts to get a scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is JP Peters, co-founder of Bits for Digits. And Bits for Digits is a micro private equity marketplace connecting uh, owners of successful online businesses with acquirers and today we're here to talk about their fascinating founding story welcome jp thank you so much for having me anna it's great to have you here i've heard a lot about you and about the platform so let's start uh, a little bit with uh, with your background maybe yeah sure so i'm uh, my, my name is always shortened to jp because really it's young philip and i think uh, most international folks have trouble pronouncing that, so I'm from Germany. Um, and yeah, my background is in business, so I studied business and economics, uh, afterwards uh, moved to Ireland, worked for two American tech companies. And then uh, about a year and a half ago, my co-founder and I, who met in college, uh, decided to quit our jobs and uh, dive into the deep end of the, the startup world and co-found Bits for Digits together. That's interesting. Uh, it's it's a, a very uncanny choice. Like, why go to, to <laughs> M&A? <laughs> why, why doing this kind of platform? Yeah, a very, very good question. So my co-founder uh, is more from the finance world. So he worked for a big American asset manager. So he sort of had the, the finance expertise. I more like the tech side of things. So we felt like, okay, fintech, it might be might be a good avenue to go down. But then, of course, we had to figure out, okay, what sort of ideas are worth exploring? What sort of white space is there still to be discovered? And the original idea for Bits for Digits was a blog post that we read, um, written by David Heinemeyer Hansen, which is one of the co-founders of uh, 37 Signals or Basecamp. And what they did way back in the day is uh, they bootstrapped the company and eventually wanted to just take some chips off the table and then did a minority buyout with Jeff Bezos, where basically Jeff Bezos bought a piece of the business um, and a secondary transaction. So the two founders of Basecamp sort of had like a nice cushy net to fall on in case Basecamp should ever like fail. Um, and then Jeff Bezos, I'm sure at this point is a rounding error, but gets to participate in their, uh, in their dividends and their, their, uh, company success, uh, basically into the future. And we thought this is a super, super cool transaction. Um, and we saw that there's a lot of marketplaces in the like startup M&A world, but there's none specifically focused at these partial buyouts. So that's where we started. And we were fortunate enough to speak to David about this transaction. We figured out like how all of this actually worked from like a mechanical perspective. And he also mentioned that people keep coming to him because he wrote this blog post and said like, I'm interested in doing this too. Like, how do I do it? And we thought like, okay, that's a great opportunity to, to build a marketplace around it. So that's how we started. Today, it's for digits also does full acquisitions. <laughs> so we, we, uh, we expanded a little bit from that, but that's, uh, that's how we got started. That's a very interesting story. Uh, and honestly, I haven't heard a lot of uh, stories where it was a partial buyout, but uh, the way you describe it, it's actually 
even better than just selling your company, right? So it's not um, exactly going after VCs money and then shooting for some kind of hyper growth just to, to make sure you grow um, uh, the way that your investors want you to. But at the same time, you have, right, like you said, a cushion to fall onto. Uh, so what are the disadvantages? Why aren't there more deals like that? So what we learned also the hard way is that there still needs to be a lot of education to be done in the market. Because when we speak to founders, especially of these like small, like SaaS businesses uh, that are like very profitable, somewhere in the high six to low seven figure range in revenue, like everyone knows fundraising and everyone knows selling their business. But the sort of like space in the middle, the secondaries, like people are not super aware of. Right. And that's a bit different if you speak to, for example, founders of big VC-backed businesses, because secondaries are like fairly common, I'd say, in this point in like the Series B and onwards. While for the the startup, uh, like startup space, like more SMB space, it's not very well known. So when we started out, we knew like a lot of investors were like comfortable with this, but then approaching a lot of founders. They were like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then we first had to explain it to them. And then they're like, ah, okay, this actually makes so much sense. But of course, from that point onwards, where they understand what this actually is, then they need to consider, does this fit into their life plan and so on? So I think we were just like, that's sometimes the woes that, that comes with being the first. So you have to teach people what you're actually doing. All right. And uh, did this... Uh, um did this create some kind of a friction with the audience that you're trying to reach? So is it uh, a lot uh, more difficult to reach them just because of this educational point or uh, you're doing something, maybe um, writing articles and going to events to, to educate them? Mm. Yeah, it's a lot more outbound than inbound, I would say, because I think what you can do is, for example, with a traditional M&A marketplace, you can write, I don't know, content that is all about selling your company. And then people that already know about selling your company, Google that stuff, find you. And that's sort of how you acquire those customers. But what we were doing, there was very little search <laughs> around what we're uh, trying to achieve. So we were uh, like engaging with a lot of communities of these founders. And then also doing like outbound, like, like cold emailing, like messaging people on Twitter, like engaging with like different niches of the internet, basically. And then speaking to the founders, like trying to interview them um, and then trying to sort of get our message across. But yeah. Okay. That's a lot and, more friction. Uh, <laughs> right. But you said that uh, you eventually moved to full buyout. Uh, why did that happen? Was it uh, audience driven? So we do both, right? So at the moment, I'd say we're fairly split 50-50 between partial buyouts and full acquisitions. And the reason why we ended up including full acquisitions is because a lot of the buyers on our platform told us like, hey, you know, we're also doing full acquisitions here, right? We also want to buy entire businesses. And we were very single-minded for a long time. Where we felt, okay, a startup can only be successful if it's very, very focused. And at some point we we're just shooting ourselves in the foot to be honest like our, our buyers were like hey we're also interested in this deal flow 
and we kept rejecting full business acquisitions like those founders and sending them to like other marketplaces and like, ah, you, you can do that there but not here and uh, we then eventually say okay maybe maybe this is not too bad um onboarded them as well and i think that has also done a lot of growth uh, for us and it also allowed us to then tap into additional like customer segments that are only looking for full acquisitions so i think all in all while it has like muddied the original message a little bit um i think a little, a little pivot wasn't too bad Okay. You mentioned onboarding. So uh, how does it work? Basically, uh, when you acquire a new user, um, mm-hmm. because I, I shouldn't say customer, right? Because the uh, you're not getting paid from the businesses that are listed, right? Uh, you're paid by acquirers. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. the way we monetize... Um, is we charge a subscription fee to buyers, right? Or acquirers, as we call them. Uh, so they have to pay a subscription fee to um, message uh, with founders on the marketplace. And our, you're right, founders, the users, um, they don't pay anything. So there's no commission fee that we charge them, no listing fee, nothing. So they can just sign up to the marketplace and uh, list their business. So what usually happens is they uh, sign up, most people just have a look at the marketplace first. We display anonymous, anonymize like who are all the different businesses that are currently live and also who are the buyers on the platform, right? So you'll see so anonymized like private equity firm, uh, search fund, family office, that kind of stuff. And what they can then do is just list their business. So they basically just have to fill out a long form about their business, um, submit it to us for review. And then we check, like, does everything make sense? Like, double check the numbers. We're in contact with the founder, like, hey, do you have a PL in order? Like, can you maybe prove some of these numbers? Um, is everything anonymized correctly, right? We want to protect their their identity. And then we publish their listing to, uh, to the marketplace. And once that happens, other acquirers can then see it and uh, approach the founder. And then the, the acquisition talks kind of go from there. Okay, so it's a manual verification. So you, you actually yeah. go and do it yourself. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a decent amount of work. Okay. All right, so how do you make sure um, that, you know, uh, the businesses are legit? So basically, you uh, how do you protect both buyers and the, the uh, sellers? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to it. So we obviously like check that you can only sign up from the domain of the business that you're actually trying to sell. Um, we, we ask for like a lot of documentation, right, to prove that the numbers that were given are correct. Um, we usually do calls with the founders too, right, just to like check their identity because I think it's a lot harder to fake that kind of stuff. And on the acquirer side, it's like somewhat similar. Um, what we do is like we, we check their LinkedIn, we check the URL that they signed up from. Um, are they like a reputable person? And we might approve of funds somewhat soon, but usually that hasn't been a big problem. Okay. Have you ever had to reject uh, a buyer or a seller? Oh, all the time. All the time. Okay. So um, for, for every business that lists, we reject like four. I think at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's either like we're not super certain this is right. And we, we know from experience, having looked at other marketplaces in this space, 
like some have a reputation of like scams and fraud and that like even if, if they solve those problems that reputation sticks so we don't want to be that marketplace and um on the buyer side, I think some people are just not very serious buyers. And well, we want to make sure that when people sign up to our platform and they speak with founders, that there's actual like intent behind buying a business. And we, uh, yeah, sometimes we have competitors also signing up to our platform and like saying, how about you move to our platform? Those, those we're also trying to avoid. <laughs> oh, okay. Sneaky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So let's let's get to uh, the founding story. So how how you actually built it. And uh, I remember I uh, read an article with you um, that it's all no code. Yeah. Tell yeah. me more about it, because just yesterday I was talking to Jeff Roberts from Outsetta and uh, he said that no code oh, is cool. the most underrated um, trend in SaaS right now. And uh, Amen. I mean, 100% agree. So how does it work for you? Yeah. Um, so when we started out, um, we, we hadn't built anything yet. What we started doing is basically interview a lot of potential investors trying to like really narrow down like who's the buy side for this, uh, spoke to some founders. And once we felt like, okay, we had like quote unquote validated that there's a market here, um, we then were sort of approached by a lot of venture capital firms and we thought that's also the route that we we have to take right neither my co-founder nor, nor i are developers and we thought okay we probably have to like raise some money get some developers in here build the stuff for us and then we had some friends that had built stuff in no code before and what they said is like hey try this out maybe maybe you can get like a super quick and dirty mvp going so we're like okay let, let's try that out and it worked like surprisingly well <laughs> and uh then we we just kind of kept on going with it and uh, so far so good so um i mean the, the learning curve can be a bit steep and in hindsight, maybe I would have chosen like a few different no-code tools or a different stack from time to time. Um, so, but basically, I think there's a, a limit for what no-code can do in terms of SaaS. But I think what it's great for is like software and a service, where like it's half like software-driven and half of it is maybe still like manual. Uh, that I think no-code is fantastic for. Yeah, yeah, I uh, completely understand what you're talking about. I think. No code has limitations, not restrictions. And as long as you're ready to learn and go a little bit beyond that, uh, it's still sustainable for, for a pretty long run. So what tech stack yeah. are we talking about, if, if you can share that? So we, yeah, for sure. Um, we, we built everything on Webflow. Um, so if I were to do it again, I would probably use Bubble instead because Webflow is great for building like beautiful designs, but it has a lot of other limitations. So what we had to do is like plug in like nine other tools to make the marketplace work like the way it's currently working. And I think it would have been a lot easier to just use a bit more advanced tool like Bubble to just build it all in one platform. But yeah, it's, uh, it's Webflow. Um, we use member stack um for authentication and like user management i think that's a bit similar to Outsita. 
uh, yeah, Stripe for our billing. Um, uh, everything works like sort of automated on Integromat, where I think it's called make.com now. Um, and then there's like a bunch of other tools that do like the filtering and the chat and the kind of stuff. Okay. So you ended up taking VCs money and no. okay. <laughs> yeah, Let's yeah, get no. back to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, exactly. So we initially thought we had to, and, um, then we sort of just kept going, kept building out the MVP and we thought like, okay, like we, we don't, maybe we're about to like, a bit hubris, but we wanted to just see how far we can take it without raising venture capital. And we just kind of kept on working. Uh, so we're like, okay, let's build a product first. Uh, okay, let's maybe get some transactions. Okay, let's maybe make some revenue. And it all worked sort of bootstrapped and with this no-code stack. And I think now the time for venture capital is also not the greatest, to be honest. Um, and to be honest, I'm also not sure that money at this point is necessarily the thing that makes the biggest difference. So I think there's other players uh, that have raised venture capital that are doing fantastically, but I also know of some that raised venture capital where I see it made very little impact. Um, so I think maybe we've chosen the right path here. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll raise in the future, but I think for now it's going pretty well the way it is. Okay, that's great. Well, as what what has been the the biggest challenging bootstrapping so far? I mean, um, what I hadn't really anticipated is how difficult hiring is. So I was involved in hiring in like the, the companies where I worked before, where they had big brands behind them, and like a lot of people would apply. The salaries were great, and uh, then you just like have to like make the difficult choice of who's the greatest uh, to pick here. Um, if you don't raise venture capital, if you have like no brand and you can also pay very little money, <laughs> that becomes difficult. Uh, so we've had to interview a lot of people to get to like good, good candidates um, that were like confident in hiring and the, the, the convincing you have to do is also a very different task, right? You have to sell people on the vision, sell people that this is actually a good, uh, a good company, uh, that, that not raising venture capital at the moment is the right choice. So I think that was that's something I definitely underestimated. Okay. And uh, how big is the team right now? So at the moment we're four. Um, so we, we uh, yeah, it's my my co-founder and I, and then two other people, and then we usually have a revolving door of interns. <laughs> that's I think that's a great strategy. So let's talk about customer acquisition a little bit. So at first you mentioned that you went to um, startup communities. Uh, so anything changed right now or? Is it still your your primary source of customers? So when I look at our attribution, I think we're very fortunate in that we have a fairly large chunk of word of mouth at this point, because I think these communities are also like small-ish enough that word travels fast. And we've also now been around for long enough that, that people sort of recognize us. Um, outside of that, yeah, it's definitely still like engaging with communities and sometimes that's sort of like we used to be very active on indie hackers, for example, 
And then we felt like, okay, we reached everyone here and we didn't focus on it for a while. Now we might be like going after that again. Maybe the users have changed or now they're in a place where they're actually looking for acquisition. Um, it's Twitter. It's uh, yeah, reaching out to people directly, sort of like SEO. Um, but it's a fairly broad mix and also about the two sides of the platform. It's a bit different. I would say like Twitter is better for founders uh, acquiring like the, the one side of the platform that's business owners and for the buyers, it's more like just approaching them by email, for example. Okay. That's an interesting insight. What are other uh, trends that, that you see in the industry right now? So what I think is super interesting right now is um, VC-funded startups that can't raise follow-on rounds that are looking for some sort of alternative, and that can be an exit. Because we've been approached by a few of them before, and we used to have this uh, rule that you have to be profitable to list on our marketplace. Because I think that's also at the time what most of the buyers were looking for. And now we've heard from more and more buyers that they're actually interested in acquiring a VC-backed startup and sort of right-sizing it into an SMB, right? They're moving it from this giant growth trajectory to a smaller internet business. And I think a lot of the hard work has already been done with the VC funding. Um, and we're slowly starting to onboard some of these businesses. Um, so I think that is that is a cool trend. On our marketplace, we have yet to see any actual transactions of that. So I don't know how well that goes. I also assume it's a bit more difficult if you have a cap table that's not only founders, um, right? You have to like sort of buy out the VCs, uh, how much is actually left for the founders, that kind of stuff. But that's something we're seeing at least a lot more interest in from both sides of the platform. Right. Oh, that's very interesting. I just I just saw this article uh, that's talking exactly about what you just said, that uh, there are a lot of founders, a lot of businesses that got the capital at first, but then they cannot raise any more. And uh, uh, I think the question there was like, what to do now? Do we go bootstrapping? Do we sell? And uh, it actually says that why not bootstrap at this point? Like you, you have already some recognition, you have some growth, so you have some kind of foundation that you can still uh, work on, but you don't have this unrealistic goal set up by your investors anymore. So you can just um, focus on a very sustainable growth and go from there. From there. If, if founders can do that, <laughs> I, I think that's great. I think it's very hard. Uh, also, like not only from like switching the mindset of like we're shooting the moon here to now we're going to become an SMB, but also you probably have to lay off a lot of people or you have to like really scale down your marketing, uh, change your roadmap, that kind of stuff. So I'm sure it's hard, but I think it's also a cool opportunity to just build something that's maybe worth saving as opposed to just shutting down the company. Right, right. So I think it's a, it's a great change in mindset. So if you wanted to go for this hyper growth from the very beginning, I think it's it's difficult to go back to just just growing a little and uh, just making yeah. sure your cash flow is there. For sure. Okay. For sure. So what are your success metrics for bits for digits? 
So our our KPIs of <laughs> revenue revenue is our cash scheme. Um, but what we look a lot at is like marketplace liquidity, right? Um, so a marketplace um, is very much driven by network effects, especially two-sided marketplace, where there always needs to be enough uh, founders on the platform willing to sell their business and enough buyers actually like interested in buying them. So what we sort of look at as a key metric for us, like conversation started. So when we have a new business list on the platform, we want there to be X amount of new conversations started with that business, right? Like existing buyers, new buyers uh, approaching them and sort of starting a conversation. So that is the, the key metric that we look at also in terms of where do we focus our customer acquisition? Do we focus more on acquiring new business owners or do we focus more on acquiring new, new buyers basically or converting them to the paid plan? Okay. Do you have any uh, success stories to share? Uh, yeah, 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 sure. So, I mean, we, we don't reveal any of the, the businesses' names that we have on the platform, right? They're all anonymized, but we've had a, a few like nice transactions so far, also across the spectrum of different transactions. So I think the first one that we had was a marketplace for remote workers. Um, so there's a lot of people that are looking for these virtual assistants. This was also great during COVID, right? But a lot of uh, remote workers from like different parts of uh, of the globe, and that was our first like minority buyout. That was very cool. Like an email tool that was the first full acquisition for us, where someone basically just aggregated all of your newsletters into just being sent to your inbox once a week, as opposed to it trickling down into your inbox all the time, and you sort of get lost. But then there's also like, and to be honest, that's like half the fun of the job. It's like seeing new businesses list on the platform. So there's also some some cool ones where I'm like, I'd love to buy that at some point <laughs> if I weren't doing bits for digits or like crazy niches. Like we have a, a business on the marketplace that's a software business for a very specific type of animal breeder. And oh this software helps people of that animal breeding type to sort of track their production and it makes like six figures <laughs> and That's it's crazy. just crazy to me like what sort of uh niche stuff is out there right right uh so uh, w when you uh, talk about uh full anonymity uh the first thing that pops into my mind that this is a completely opposite uh, direction from say acquire.com right when they actually want uh, the the buyers and the sellers to go out there and talk about what kind of experience they they had on the website so why did you go in this completely different direction uh protecting this information um so it's usually driven by the people on the platform right so most people sort of just say that they're not interested in sharing it so obviously that's the case before the transaction happens because you don't want your employees and your staff and that kind of stuff to figure out oh my, my boss might be looking for a full acquisition here and after a transaction we usually just like sort of ask them like hey how's it how's it going like do you want to share anything most people are like no and okay. that, that's just sort of it but um yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it would be a better marketing tool. Maybe we should be more after it, but uh, it's not really worrying us too much. 
Okay. All right. That's, that, that's great. I mean, uh, as long as uh, it's, um, it's driven by, by your customers and, uh, you know, they're happy with it. Obviously, like, that, we, we don't want to like pressure anyone into into doing anything they don't want to. Right, that's true. So, um, what uh, what so far for you was the most surprising in building this platform, or or just just working in, in the startup world because this is this is the first venture. Uh, what's most surprising to me is like who you can reach and speak to and how open all founders are. That was very surprising to me. Like, I, I think I already mentioned, we, we managed to speak to DHH, which was super cool. Uh, like he took like an hour of a zoom call with us. Um, we had a lot of like legal questions at some point, um, where we had to get a lot of like lawyers and figure out like how to build this into a really compliant platform. And we we reached out to people, for example, like the founder of, or one of the founders of Scalable Capital, like giant, uh, like unicorn businesses. And everyone is like crazy helpful, and really it doesn't matter like how big you are or what value would provide to them. They're just happy to help other founders. And that to me is probably the most surprising and exciting thing about this, like who you get to meet and who you actually can like ask for help and just offer it. Yeah, that's beautiful. I completely agree with you. Uh, I've experienced the same stuff uh, on the podcast. Okay. Um, so my next question is, uh, it, because I, I hear it a lot, um, that founders usually build with an exit in mind. So uh, do you have this plan for bits for digits or do you see it becoming uh, this kind of a dependable software piece uh, and working on it for, for the next 15, 20 years. Yeah, I, I don't have an excellent mind. And I think it's also maybe a bit early to speak about this, right? Like we we only started this somewhat recently, right? I think we, we officially launched in December of 2021. So it's definitely a bit too early to consider that, I feel. And if we were to consider one, I mean, we started out as a partial buyout marketplace. Maybe that's a cool deal to also then follow through on that we don't fully have to exit our, our company. But yeah, I have no, no plans on quitting quite yet. Not and I also sure. think, to be honest, maybe not the best strategy to build a business with like an excellent in mind already. Like if you, if you raise venture capital, obviously that's what you have to do. But uh, if you're building like a bootstrap business, I think maybe you can manage to build a, a more high quality business um, as opposed to always just looking for the door. So I think the longer you stick to it, the more it can compound. And uh, I'd always take like a longer view on building a business as opposed to going like, I'm going to do this for three years and then it's the next thing. All right. Uh, well, uh, you've reached... Uh quiet to success over the, this two years, right? Le less than two years even. So um, how do you see yourself grow in 2023, especially um, since you were, you were saying that, you know, VC's money is, is not as active anymore. So maybe there are less investors. So how do you see it affect bits for digits? Um, so how I see myself grow is, I mean, I've, I'm a lot better at what I do now than I was a year ago. And I'd like to look at myself in 2024 and think like, ah, he was pretty bad at what he's doing compared to where I'm now. So I just want to get better at, at what I'm doing here. Be that sort of like managing, coming up with like better 
your product strategy, customer acquisition, all of that stuff. Um, where CBITs for digits going is so we're running it very much break even at the moment. And I think that's just a good strategy. Like it doesn't need to be like super profitable yet. Uh, we have a lot more growth ahead of us, but I also don't want to necessarily depend on venture capital, especially at a time where it's not very favorable to raise it. So I think that's just how we'll do it. Okay, sounds great. So, so far, can you share the biggest win and the biggest failure for four bits for digits? Or for you as a founder, if you, I don't know, want to reflect on your own journey? So the biggest win, um, I think right out the gate, I don't know, it's so difficult to say. Right out the gate, I was very happy with our product and launch. Um, so we officially launched on Product Hunt in December of 2021. We became second product of the day, only to lose to Nathan Latka, who, who became number one. Uh, <laughs> and uh, But we were also nominated for like uh, FinTech of the Year at the Product Hunt Awards. So that was very cool. It gave us a lot of like... Yeah, validated us a lot and it got us a ton of users right out the gate. So that was great. Um, the biggest failure, I would say, or was... Challenge. Yeah. So the big biggest mistake, I would say, we made in the early stages is looking at other marketplaces and uh, trying to understand them from like a legal perspective. Like, are they regulated? Are they not regulated? What do we need to do? And we looked at other marketplaces and basically none of them are regulated. And then we assumed like, ah, we also don't have to be regulated. Wrong. Uh, <laughs> or at least the way, the, the way they are designed. So we spent a lot of time and a lot of money on lawyers um, to make sure our platform is designed in a way that we don't have to be regulated in any of our major jurisdictions. Right? Not in the US, not in Canada, not in the UK, not in Germany. And uh, that was a huge pain. Like, I hate having to deal with lawyers. And um, yeah, I, I think that was the biggest challenge and the business, biggest mistake. And I also encourage a lot of other marketplace founders out there to maybe look into it. <laughs> maybe get a lawyer. <laughs> right. Because so far, everything has gone well. But like, technically, a lot of the stuff that I would see out there is like not allowed. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, a lot of this like unsexy stuff uh, founders don't really want to touch at first, but uh, then they understand that this is actually what, what will keep us afloat, what will give yeah. us some kind of stability. <laughs> and yeah, just read up of this I, pain. I sleep a lot better at night now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's yeah. good. Okay. Uh, I remember you mentioned there were uh businesses really cool businesses that are listed on uh the platform and my bonus question is actually some somehow related uh what would be a business that you would be investing in if you wanted to invest right now listed Ooh. or unlisted anything that you'd love to have a piece of so I'm a, I'm a big fan of what uh, Andrew Wilkinson has done with Tiny. And I think he's just going public with Tiny. I think he's merging with WeCommerce or something. But 
I haven't looked at any of the numbers, but that is something I'm like considering because I think Constellation Software is an amazing business, but it's also huge already. And there's so many competitors that were in there in like the 2000s. Um, but I think Tiny is amazing. Like they're, they're doing really well. And I, I am considering like buying a piece of that. Okay, that's an interesting choice. Thank you for sharing. All right. Well, uh, JP, it's been a great conversation. Thank you for, for sharing everything about Bits for Digits. And obviously, I hope to interview you again soon to see uh, what badass things you were up to this year. I'll, I'll have some updates. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you.